Well, Father, this morning we come, hopefully with a thankful heart, because of what you've done for us through Christ on the cross. And Father, we acknowledge that what you have done for us, we certainly didn't deserve. You have loved the unlovable, you have helped the hopeless, you have intervened in our lives in such a way that I don't think we're even completely aware of the difference that that has made for us. Father, I pray that you would continually work in our hearts in such a way that we would not take this marvelous gift of grace for granted, but that it would move in all us every day, that we would be captured by the affection that has been shown to us through the cross so that we would live lives that would reflect the greatness of the God that you are, that it would display our commitment to you in such a way that others would notice and be drawn to you. Father, I pray that you would use us as your hands and your feet, not only within this congregation, but in the community around us, to make a difference in such a way that you would be honored and glorified through our efforts. Father, we thank you for this privileged time of worship. We pray that you would help our hearts to understand the truth of your word. We pray for the ability to separate distraction from our minds, that we would be able to focus. And pray, Father, that your spirit would do a work in us that can only be explained by you. We thank you that your word is active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray, Father, that your word would not return back to you void until it is accomplished what you've intended in every heart and every life that's here today. We give you thanks for what it is you've done and for what it is you will do in and through us, your church, your body, in the days ahead. We give thanks and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be seated, if you will. We'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And we uh, are going to continue in this chapter. I had at the outset the goal of getting through verse 21, but that's not going to happen. So we'll have to look at this in two different sections. And we've looked at, as a way of reminder, the great gift of salvation that we have been given. We've looked at the joy that is ours as a result of this salvation. In Romans 12, we've looked at our response to this gift that we have been given. It is a dedicated sacrifice of ourselves to Him as we view the mercy of the cross that has forever changed our lives, as we've gone through this passage, we've looked at the reality that God has given to us, His body, spiritual gifts that are to be used for the edification, the building up of His body, this local congregation, and the church globally all around the world. So God has given us the capacity to make a difference in this world for Him as we give ourselves to his teachings, and we continue now in the context of what has been said, this dedicated service where we, the body, are very unique and diverse, and yet we are unified in the Lord, are to serve him, and the context of our service to him is now what we're going to look at in verses 9 and following, and that is the gift of love. It is our response to the mercy that we know from the cross and how we are to live our lives within this body of Christ. You know, a lot of times when we talk about the love of God, we talk about the expectation that we are to love one another. 
as the Lord has loved us. Our eyes kind of gloss over and our minds drift to this faraway place because we recognize that this isn't really new information, but the information is so difficult to live out. Is it easy to love one another as God has loved us? Absolutely not. But it's it's a continual challenge that we find all throughout the Scripture of how we are to relate to one another in response to our being a part of His body, of our being changed by the grace and the goodness of God. And so we'll look at verses 9-13 through today, and then I'll have some comments about that. So follow along with me, Romans 12, verses 9-13. through Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. In these five verses, there are 13 separate exhortations that we would see, and I'm going to put these together in 10 expressions, if you will, but we're only going to look at the first four because of the amount of time it's going to take. I want to give as much attention to the remaining verses in this section as I do to the initial one. So the first thing that we see as we look at the ten elements or the ten components of this gift of love, number one, is we see love's quality. There is a quality about the love that we are to have for one another. We see this in the very first part of verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, when you see that word love here in the Greek, what word do you think it is, knowing there's three different words for love? What is the word for love here? What's it going to be? It's going to be agape love. It speaks of this divine love that originates in the heart of the Father and is expressed to His children via the cross. And it is the expectation that we would emulate that kind of divine love within our interactions, within our relationships as a body of Christ. Divine love seeks the best of the one being loved. It's a denial of self. It's a sacrifice of our rights and of our preferences. And this is what makes this kind of love so difficult for you and I. Now, when we think about love, what normally comes to our mind is a man and a woman in a romantic relationship. There's that guy or that gal that's really captured your eye and you approach them and your palms get sweaty and your stomach gets a little nauseous and you get a little bit nervous and your mouth gets dry. That is not divine love. That's not what we're talking about here at all. We're talking about a quality of love that is so much higher and so much greater than you and I could ever even begin to imagine. That is our goal and to practice that kind of love within our relationships, within the body. Now, a couple things we'll notice about this divine love. Letter A, this love is modeled for us. We don't have to say, well, what does that look like? We don't need to say, give me an example of that. That love is modeled for us. John 3.16, the most quoted verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is God's divine love that sought the best for us where Jesus went to the cross so that you and I could be saved from our sin and become 
the children of God. Jesus modeled this kind of love. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Well, not only has this love been modeled, this love is commanded. Jesus would say in John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Is there any ambiguity in what Jesus is saying in these verses? We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us. He's modeled love. He has commanded love. And it is our living out this love that demonstrates to a skeptical world that He is real to us, that we have been really and truly changed by the cross of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and do what? Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. If you go back and look at Old Testament history, you have to ask the question, how could God love these people the way he did? Well, it's a divine love. When you trace the ministry of Jesus and the twelve that he had called out, and we watch them fumble their way through his earthly ministry, we have to ask the question, how could Jesus love them that way? Well, it's because... It's a divine love. Well, we've seen that it's modeled. We've seen that it's it's commanded. Let her see this love is dependent. You and I do not have the capacity to love one another as Christ has loved us apart from the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, changing us, and making us new. You just can't wake up and say, well, you know, I'm going to do a better job of loving so-and-so. It's not going to happen like that. It happens when we have made a dedicated sacrifice, as we've read in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to serve Him for the betterment of the body that we are a member of. Our ability to love as God loves is directly affected by our walk with Him. You can be a Baptist, you can be Pentecostal, you can be Catholic, you can be whatever you want to be, but if you're not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ in an intimate personal relationship, you will not possess the capacity to love with this highest quality of love as has been shown to us on the cross. John 15:5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's talking about spiritual significance here. He who abides in him, in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So there is this picture of this intimate relationship that takes place that enables us to do what God has called us to do, what he has empowered us to do, and most specifically, it is loving one another. Jesus would go on to say that the sum of all the prophets have said could be captured in this one thing, love one another. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of the Holy Spirit working in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no 
law. So when we hear this talk about agape love and the highest quality of love and the commandment to love, we shouldn't dismiss this as impossible or impractical. We should understand that it is commanded and it is possible through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, we probably have a long way to go in that, right? But as we look back, we should be able to say, I'm better at this. God is working in me at this better than I could see a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. If that isn't happening in our lives, then perhaps the work of the Spirit has been stagnant by our unwillingness to obey Him in some form or fashion. Well, not only is this a divine love, but love is to be without hypocrisy. We talk about love's quality. It is modeled after the love of God, and it is to be without hypocrisy. So in order for love to have divine components, it must be free from hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy is, right? How many of you have super great friends that are the biggest hypocrites you've ever met in your life? Well, probably not very many, if any at all. In fact, hypocrisy tends to repel people from one another. Because you say things you don't do, you claim things you don't really believe, and there isn't this quality in the kind of statements that you're making. So love must be without hypocrisy. It means it's genuine, it isn't faked, it is sincere, it's not artificial, it is selfless, it is not rooted in self-centeredness, and it is consistent, and it is not marred by hatred. We would read in John, 1 John 4, 19-21, We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. You know, it's one of the most inconsistent things for a Christian to say, I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind, but that Jim, boy, I don't like that Jim at all. I hate Jim. I hate Mary. I hate Bob. I hate Tom. Not you, Jim. Just a Jim. When we hear things like that, it should call into question the seriousness of the commitment that an individual has made to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because according to John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can't love God and hate our brother or our sister. It's incongruous. It is hypocritical. Our relationships suffer due to a lack of love, due to a lack of selfless love, and our church is crippled when there isn't a divine love being exercised within the body. The quality of love is to be expressed through what we see as we continue through this. Number two, not only love's quality, but love's morality. Verse 9b, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. As an extension of our love for God and for others, we are to love what God loves and we are to hate what God hates. That word abhor is very, very strong. It means to hate and to turn from. 
It is the picture of repentance. I hate my sinful condition, and I will repent and turn away from it, and I will view the cross instead. We know what it means when we talk about evil. It's wickedness, it's sin, it's rebellion, it's unholiness, it's ungodliness. Here, in the context of life within the body, it is unkindness, it is malice, it could be indifference, it could be apathy towards one another. But we are to abhor these things that God abhors. We are to cling to the things that God has determined to be good. You see, we need to ask ourselves this on a regular basis. Does this attitude that I have, or does this action that I am involved in, does it please God? Does it draw me closer to God? Does it bring others into a deeper relationship with God? Does it build others up, or does it tear others down? You see, when we're aware of our attitudes and our actions being detrimental to the body, we need to stop and recognize that that is sin. We need to hate that, and we need to confess and repent that. Now, as publicly as that sin is made known, our confession is to match. If you lose your temper and in the midst of 30 people say some things that you regret, you need to go to those 30 people and confess that and ask them to forgive you. If you have an impure attitude about someone else, that's what you take care of on your knees with, your, with the Lord in your relationship with Him. Ephesians 5 verses 3 and 4 says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Saints is all Christians. It's not the elite. It's everybody who claims to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So the things that we think, the things that we say to one another in the context of the Scripture are to be more fitting with this than it is to express our displeasure, our frustrations, our anger towards one another. We're to hate evil and we are to cling to what is good. To cling here means to glue. We are to glue ourselves to those things that we know to be good. Now what's interesting, that in the Greek, and the way this is written, this is phrased in such a way that it isn't an either-or proposition. It is a causal relationship. If we are hating that which is evil, it means we will be loving that which is good. And if we are loving that which is good, then we will be hating that which is evil. There's a cause in this loving and in this hating. We will hate what is evil because we are clinging to what is good. And we are clinging to what is good because we hate evil. This is what happens as we look at Romans 12.2 when our minds are being transformed through the truth of God's Word. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, as our minds are being renewed, we will learn to know what God hates. We will learn the value of clinging to Him. And the causal relationship between the two is we will learn to hate the things that God hates and to love the things that God loves. We will hate sin so much that we are gluing ourselves to the righteous things of God. Now, we have to be intentional about pursuing those good things. It isn't a process of osmosis. 
If you come and hear it, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. If you read it in God's Word, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. We have to be intentional to obey what God has instructed us so that the cause and effect relationship between hating and clinging will be evident in our lives. Pursuing these good things that will build us up, that will help us to enrich the lives of our brothers and sisters, to be able to emulate the quality of love that we have known from the cross, we will be able to duplicate the morality that we find in God's love. Now, number three, we see love's commitment. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That word devoted here means family affection. That word there is the other word for love, phileo, not agape. It is phileo love. It is the kind of brotherly love that we are to have within our relationships with one another. We are to give preference to one another. Now, this is very interesting. That word to prefer means to go before It almost also means to lead. And it doesn't mean lead in the sense that we would understand it. But the idea is that in our love and in our devotion to one another, we will lead in the example of showing honor to one another as opposed to seeking honor for ourselves. We will go before others. We will lead others in giving preference to them Rather than saying, here am I, what about me? Anybody remember me? Forget about me? Didn't you see the thing I did? Didn't you hear the thing I said? Don't you know who I helped? We get so preoccupied in getting recognition for the little that we do that we will completely ignore what the others are doing and in that we don't show honor to one another. We don't put them before ourselves. Our sinful human nature will seek the honor of ourselves above giving honor to other people. If that isn't true, then why do you think, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul pens these words, give preference to one another in honor. We see a similar thought in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. What have you heard from the world in your 20, your 40, your 70 years? What have you heard? What's the message of the world? You deserve a break today. Go to McDonald's, right? It's me, myself, and I. You've got to look out for number one because no one else is going to look out for you. And so we have in, this, in our human nature this ingrained message of preserving ourself to the ignorance of the needs of other people that we couldn't even think about giving praise or honor to someone else because our first and primary concern is, well, what about me? Who's going to honor me? Who's going to recognize me? Who's going to give thanks to me? As long as that is the prevalent attitude within the body, it will not express or experience the highest quality of love. We should be willing to give credit to others. We should be able to express appreciation for others, praise the efforts of others, and even defer to others. Not what I think, not what I want. What would help you the most? What would resolve your issue better than what I think or what I want? Deference to one another goes hand in hand with putting others before yourself. In doing this, we demonstrate a commitment to being devoted to the family and showing honor to one another ahead of ourselves. Number four, our last 
major number we're going to look at, we see love's expression. Now, this is verses 11 through 13, and there's a, a mishmash of things that are in here, but uh, doing this probably a little different from many commentators, but let's read these verses together, verses 11 through 13. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So our love for others, our ability to lead others in the right path by showing how to honor one another is directly connected to our walk with God. So when I look at these phrases that are in these three verses, I'm doing it this way. The key phrase is serving the Lord. In our service to the Lord, tracing it right back up to Romans 12, 1 and 2, in a dedicated sacrificial service to the Lord, the word serve here is the word doulos, which is the word for bond slave. It's the highest form of service. And in these three verses, we see seven descriptions of how we are to serve the Lord. So letter A, we are to serve the Lord with diligence. Not lagging behind in diligence. You know what it means to lag behind, right? There's always somebody back there. Come on, man, hurry it up. Get going. You're holding the crew up. Not lagging behind in diligence. That word diligence means zeal. There is this intensity that is a part of our service to the Lord. We are to serve Him with diligence. It's not being slothful. It's not being lazy. It's being intentional and on the spot with what God is calling and leading us to do. It is our job to serve the Lord. It is our privilege to serve the Lord. And we should do so with a great amount of diligence that could be described as zealous. You know what someone calls you zealous? It's an insult, but really it's a compliment. Because if you're zealous for the Lord, that means you're demonstrating a commitment that's far beyond what anybody else has seen or what that person has seen. And so when you are zealous, they might mean that as an insult. My brother, when he made a profession of faith early on, he was living that out within a construction site, and one of his buddies began to call him Mr. Born Again. Mr. Born Again, it was an insult. It was a way to deride his commitment to the Lord. But he possessed a zeal to live out his faith in a way that others would see that. Letter B. We're to serve the Lord with a fervent spirit. That word fervent means boiling hot. So hot that it has the potential to scald. Think about what that means in our lives to serve the Lord with diligence, with a fervent spirit. A boiling hot commitment. It's an intense passion for the things of God. It's an, intent, it's an intense pursuit in our relationship with God. As we consider who He is in view of God's mercies and what He has done for us by saving us from our sin, there shouldn't be a shortage of diligence or fervence in our service to the Lord. Revelation 3, 15 and 16, we're going to look at these passages in the weeks ahead. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now there are many tasty things when they're warm. A warm cookie, 
a warm piece of cake or pie, right? Do you like warm ice cream? Do you like warm milk? There's things that when you eat them that are warm, they're not supposed to be warm. It makes us want to spit them out. It's repulsive to our taste buds. And so when we possess a lukewarm commitment to the Lord, it is nauseating to the one that has saved us. A mediocre commitment to the Lord isn't tasty by God. It's something that is very displeasing to him, and he would rather us be cold than to be lukewarm. Imagine that. Let us see. We are to serve the Lord by being joyful in hope. Christians possess a hope that is unlike anything else that exists in the world. We have a hope like no one else. Do you believe that? Do you possess a hope that is unlike anything anybody else possesses because of your relationship with the Lord? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 9, In this you greatly rejoice, the salvation, we've looked at this passage already, in this salvation you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your souls, excuse me, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, we possess a living hope knowing that this life isn't all that there is, knowing that God is with us, knowing that God is at the end of our journey to welcome us into his eternal home, and that is our hope. We are to serve the Lord with a hope that is reflected in the security that we experience in our salvation with him. It's not the hope that exists in the world that is dependent upon the economy or the government or education. It isn't a hope that is found in a spouse or in children or in any other thing. It is a hope that exists only because we are the children of God and we have him as the end of this journey. Now, letter D, we see we are to serve the Lord by being patient in affliction. As we just looked at in James or in 1 Peter, rather, we are to be patient and afflicted. We live under the curse of the fall. There's great hardship and difficulty and uncertainty and pain and suffering in our lives. Anybody a stranger to that? No, we all share that in common, right? The hardship, as Paul mentioned early on, there's a lot of uncertainty in our world. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. God's in control. But these difficulties that we face are designed to draw us more closely to Him so that we experience the power of His presence, the peace of being known by God, and the joy that comes from the salvation we have from God, when we focus on those things, our difficulties, our hardships, and the uncertainty tends to fade away, and we possess a joy inexpressible. James would say in chapter 1, verses 2-4, through four, Consider it all joy, my brethren, 
when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Is God sufficient? Some of the time, most of the time, occasionally, God is sufficient all the time. In the best of days, we rest in the sufficiency of God. In the most difficult of days, we are to rest in the sufficiency of God. Our ability to endure hardship is the result of being fervent in our service to Him. And we see this continue now on letter E. We serve Him by being faithful in prayer. I would say that prayer is probably the most underutilized privilege that exists among Christians today. You think about the number of Christians who will occupy a therapist or a counselor's office in the next week because in some way they're not finding sufficiency in God himself Perhaps they're not finding sufficiency within the body of Christ in helping meet their needs. And I'm not casting stones at those who go to therapy or who have been in counseling. I'm not saying that at all. Sometimes we need help and we're not finding it and we've got to go somewhere to get it. But if God is truly sufficient in all that we face, my guess would be that the most prescribed drug in America today, antidepressants, would be radically changed. Is God sufficient? In the hard times in the joyous times. God is always going to be sufficient. And we experience the sufficiency as we express our need for Him, our love for Him, our faith and trust in Him in prayer. It is in prayer that we experience the peace that only comes from knowing God. It's where we experience the reality of His presence. It's where we are reminded of His power. It's where we are encouraged to obey His Word. It's where we find cleansing from our sin. It is what gives us the ability to take the next step in the midst of great uncertainty. Prayer is probably the most underutilized privilege that Christians have today. Hebrews 4.16 Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are to serve the Lord in prayer. Letter F, we are to serve the Lord by sharing with others. The word here is the word koinonia. It's the word for fellowship. And it's the idea of having things in common. And the early church, as we read in the book of Acts, is marked by this uncanny commitment to share all things together. So the people were selling their possessions and their land. They were pooling their resources together for what purpose? To meet the needs of the body. As in the early days of the church, when the church freely shared with one another, as Paul himself was a recipient of the generosity of the churches that he had been to and would be traveling to, we are to be that way today. We are to serve the Lord by sharing what we have with others. Now, this is a generous church, and I've seen firsthand how this church is mobilized to meet the needs they know about in the lives of the body. And that is what we are to do. If you have plenty, you should be willing to share. If you are in need, you should feel free to say, I have a need. That's body life. Pride will keep us from experiencing body life. 
I remember a time in my life, I was on staff at a church, I was teaching a Sunday school class, and we had an individual that came. We were in a rental house, we'd been there about 10, 11 months, we are getting ready to move. He came to me one day and said, hey, the Lord has prompted me, I want to pay for your move. I want to, help. I want to pay for your move from where you are to where you're going to be. And I said, oh, Butch, I could never ask you to do that. He said, well, you didn't ask me to do that. I feel like God wants me to do that, and so I want to do that. And I said in my human flesh, I, I'm not comfortable with that. I, I, just, I just don't want you to do that for me. He, he continued, and I relented. I said, okay, that'd be great. Be a big help. Thanks a bunch. Well, three days later, I was in a hospital with a kidney stone with the instruction, you're not to lift more than 10 pounds for the next two weeks. Well, God prompted this man to meet a need that I didn't know I had. And that's the way we are to be within the body. When we have a need, we are to freely express it. When we have the ability to meet a need, we are to freely share with others. And in doing so, we serve the Lord. It is, it is an expression of a fervent and a diligent service to Him. Lastly, letter G, we serve the Lord by being friendly to strangers. Now, the word here is to be hospitable. And technically, that word hospitable means it's the care of strangers, we think of being hospitable, of loving one another, and we should do that, and that is a, a segment of that. But there's another side to this that we're probably not familiar with, and that is being a blessing to those that we don't even know. A popular restaurant in the Columbus area and, and around Ohio is Bob Evans. You may have visited Bob Evans. Well, Bob Evans has a slogan, and here's their slogan, Treat strangers like friends and friends like family. That's a good business model, isn't it? How much better of a model is that for life within the body? We treat strangers like friends and we treat friends like family. I consider all of you my friends. I should consider all of you my family. If there's somebody in my family that has a need, I will do anything I can to meet that need. We serve the Lord by being friendly to strangers. We practice the gospel by loving those that we don't even know. Now, in New Testament times, it was not uncommon as people traveled who didn't have a lot of money. There wasn't a ton of hotels and motels to stay at. And so occasionally they would come through and they'd go to the synagogue and say, hey, we need a place to stay. They would go to these home churches and say, hey, we need a place to stay. And they would receive hospitality as they would say, welcome, come into my home. Let me fix for you a meal. We are to share with strangers. Now, we've got to be careful about that in our day and age. But that is the idea, is that we are to practice the gospel by loving those that we don't yet know. Hebrews 13.2 Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. I've heard some crazy stories. I've heard some really crazy stories. I've not had this happen to me, but I've heard some stories where that seemed to be what had taken place. But we never know what's behind our meeting the need that somebody else has. We are to serve one another. We are to meet the needs of one another. When we do it to the least of these, what did Jesus say? You have done it unto me. So we are to serve the Lord diligently with a fervent, hot intensity, being joyful in hope, being patient in affliction, being faithful in prayer, meeting the needs of the saints, and being willing to connect to strangers. That expresses the quality of love that God has shown to us. 
I know within the book of Ephesians it talks about us, about us being aliens and enemies and strangers to God. And yet, even when we were in that position, God loved us and made a way for our salvation. This thing we call body life is incredibly difficult. We can't do it in our own strength. It only takes place through the work of the Holy Spirit, and that is dependent upon our relationship with Him, our walking with Him in obedience and sacrifice and in service. Do you need to grow in your love for the body? Oh, yeah, we all do. Then this is applicable to you and I today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it challenges us. It reminds us of what is the defining mark of Christianity, and that is love. And Father, we would be quick to acknowledge that we don't live this out in the way that we should. And sometimes we don't live it out in a way that we could. And for that, Father, we confess to you our sin. We pray for the work of the Spirit to convict us, to be willing to make amends, to be willing to repent and forgive so that there would be no doubt within this body of believers of the genuineness of the love that we have without even a hint of hypocrisy. Father, we thank you that you can do more in us and through us than we can even begin to imagine. But it only takes place as we abide and connect ourselves to you. So convict us of that, encourage us in that, draw us to that so that we would be able to emulate the highest quality of love. For your glory and your honor, we pray these things.